Hello, everyone, and welcome to Newfound Pod, a bite-sized podcast about Newfoundland. I'm your host, Debbie Wiseman. This is Episode 3, Natural Disasters. I first wanted to send my best wishes to people dealing with Hurricanes Harvey and Irma. We're lucky here in Newfoundland that these two storms will miss us. Some people haven't been so lucky, and the devastation is hard to look at. Please donate to help if you can. Weather is a popular topic of discussion here in Newfoundland. People often say, don't like the weather here? Just wait a minute. It's been known to go from a foggy day to rain to sun all within a couple of hours. Even today, it was supposed to be fall, and the temperature is at feels like 33 degrees. Yuck. On today's episode, I'll talk about a major weather event in the history of Newfoundland. Since official record-keeping began in 1851, 25 hurricanes have made direct landfall in Newfoundland. But before records were kept, Canada's deadliest ever natural disaster took place in 1775 as a hurricane, now known as the Newfoundland Hurricane, struck the east coast of the United States and Newfoundland and took the lives of over 4,000 people, many of them sailors from England and Ireland. Yet, for some reason, I think this event pretty much goes unnoticed to the population of the province. I've heard countless times about the 1929 tidal wave, which I'll go into in my next episode, but the first I heard of this seemingly monumental event was just this past week. It all began in September 1775. There was, of course, no advance warning systems in place at that time. The sea at St. John's suddenly rose 30 feet, swallowing up hundreds of boats and all crew members on board. The effects of the storm were also felt in Northern Bay Sands, Harbor Grace, Carbonier, and Placentia Bay. In Conception Bay, men who were jigging for squid felt the sea rise at least 20 feet and were no match for the rough seas. 300 men were lost there alone. So you have to think, how quickly did this storm come upon them? They were used to being on the water, and surely they'd be aware of the warning signs of rough seas approaching. The storm was upon them before they even had time to react. Some people only survived by scrambling to the rafters of their homes to escape the floodwaters. It's said that for days after, fishermen pulling in their nets were hauling in upwards of 30 bodies at a time. The BBC weather site also wrote about the storm, saying, After this appalling weather system moved on and died down, the beaches were littered with the corpses of dead sailors, and it has been said that for many years afterwards, bones were still being washed ashore. The suddenness of the storm is probably why, for quite a while, it was believed that it may have been a tsunami caused by an underwater earthquake that struck the shores. A researcher, Michael Stavely, discovered that it was in fact a tornado, finding multiple references to the strength of the wind causing the storm. His research was continued by Alan Ruffman, who has studied this storm extensively. I'll have links to their research on the blog. Robert Duff, governor of Newfoundland at the time, wrote that the fisheries trade had, quote, received a very severe stroke from the violence of a storm of wind. He also wrote of the financial devastation to the area. In his book titled The History of Newfoundland, written in 1819 by Lewis Anspach, he wrote, on the 12th of September in the year 1775, this coast was visited by a most terrible gale. In Harbor Grace and Carbonier, all the vessels in the harbors were driven from their anchors, but the inhabitants of the North Shore suffered with still greater severity. They even now, with signs of dread and horror, 
show a cove where upwards of 200 fishing boats perished with all their crews. Carbonier resident Philip Took, I think that's how you say it, also briefly mentioned the 1775 event in his writings. In 1775, Newfoundland was visited by a dreadful storm. The sea rose 20 feet above usual height, which threw on shore hundreds of craft, both small and large. Leo English wrote of the storm of 1775 as it was seen in the Northern Bay area. The squid came late that afternoon, and so abundant and omnivorous that the oldest of seamen were terrified at their voraciousness. Over the horizon to the southeast, there spread then an orange-hued glow. The thin wisp of wind that slowly gathered strength increased and culminated in the fierce violence of a hurricane. Hatches were battened down, boats lashed, and the sails double-reefed. Ships slopped their chains and strove to escape. Hundreds of boats and over 300 men perished. The tide had risen 20 feet above its normal level. Author, storyteller, and noted folklorist Dale Jarvis wrote in his book, Haunted Shores, that the people of Northern Bay Sands buried their unfortunate victims in a mass grave on a bluff overlooking the beach. Many residents then claimed to hear the cries of the drowning men calling to them. This is referred to as the Hollies, a phenomenon that still occurs to this day and has earned itself an entry in the Dictionary of Newfoundland. Whenever my topic is something dark like this, I'll always try to end the podcast on a lighter note. So today I want to tell you about Richard Whitburn, English colonist, mariner, and author. He wrote a book called, and this is a mouthful, A Discourse and Discovery of Newfoundland, with many reasons to prove how worthy and beneficial a plantation may there be made after a far better manner than now it is, together with the laying open of certain enormities and abuses committed by some of that trade to that country, and the means laid down for reformation thereof. Yes, that whole thing was the title of his book. Anyhow, at the end of the book, almost as an afterthought, he sneaks in a story about seeing mermaids in St. John's Harbor in 1610. He describes the creature as looking like a woman while swimming towards him, with all the parts a typical woman has. Face, eyes, nose, mouth, chin. He said it didn't have hair, but instead blue streaks on its head that resembled long hair. But definitely not hair. She was beautiful and well-proportioned. He saw another coming towards him all out, and he jumped back, so she made sure to let him know she wasn't attacking him, just frolicking. When they swam away, he noticed that they had manly backs. He didn't mention whether he enjoyed that or not. Then he said the rest of her body resembled a broad, hooked arrow. Yeah, I bet he looked great, too. He also noted that one of the men working for him, William Hawkridge, saw another mermaid trying to climb on board a ship. He wasn't as enchanted as old Richard, so he smacked her on the head with an oar and sent her back into the ocean. She wasn't deterred. She went to two other boats in the harbor, and the men were so scared, they fled to land. Now all I can think is that our waters should be filled with people, and these dunces scared them off. Check out the drawing posted on the blog of this scene done by Theodore Debray. There's a whole lot going on, and the mermaids are the most reasonable thing I can see. The other night while researching, I went down a deep rabbit hole and looked at a lot of his drawings or etchings. The world was quite different in the 1500s, apparently. Well, that's it for me for another week. Friday will be my new release day, 
and next week's episode will focus on another weather disaster, this time the 1929 tsunami. Remember to follow me on social media. I'm NewfoundPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The site is NewfoundPod.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It means so much to me. I also got my very first Patreon supporter, who wishes to remain anonymous, but thank you so much. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.